Welcome to Stories from the Locker Room, a news hub podcast that interviews sporting greats about their career highlights, lowlights, controversies, and legacy. This week, Eru Paranihi sits down with controversial former New Zealand Warriors star Sione Famoena. Famoena reveals the true reason behind his sacking from the club in 2006. It's Sione Famoena on Stories from the Locker Room. I'd like to uh, first and foremost welcome you to uh, Stories from the Locker Room. It is the News Hub Sports Podcast and with me is a very special guest. Um, He has a distinction of playing well over 80 games for the Warriors. He also uh, spent a bit of time at the Cowboys, but before that, uh, interestingly enough, he was at the Raiders. Bit of time over in Super League and a couple of... uh, Test caps for the Kiwis. Uh, welcome to the show. Sionet Famuina, Talofalava. Talofalava, Malosoifua. Eru, how are you? Yeah, Payana, I'm good, man. Good to see you. Obviously, um, not a lot of people know this, but I would fe- I'd like to say we kind of go back a long way ish, kind of, sort of. <laughs> um, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start off. What is, what is our connection then uh, for our listeners listening out there? So, our connection is my, uh, my best mate is married to your cousin. And so, we were able to connect back then. And then um, it's a, there's a funny story as well. I got married two years ago and uh, my wife is Māori and uh, one of my cousins suggested that in my speech I do a bit of a, a Māori um, introduction. And so I rung Edu and who wrote my Māori <laughs> speech for my wedding. <laughs> Damn, it's almost like you looked at my shit because that was going to be one of my questions a little bit later, which is you got a very special uh, story over your wedding. Yep, a couple of years ago, he did get married. She, I believe she is from Ngāti Tuwharetua, which is my father's side as well, so there's definitely a connection there. Yep. And also she's from Ngaitahu, so interesting um, having two cultures that mixed together, and I can recall that story too. I think I was in the middle of a shoot and was having a bit of a break, and yeah, I get this call from a random number, and you actually, for someone that was getting married the next day, you sounded very calm. You know, you had a very calming influence. And he did. He asked me for a few kupu or for a few words, mm-hmm. you know. Um, practiced it overnight, as I hear. And you know, your best friend, Sa, or my cousin's husband, mm-hmm. uh, told me that you actually nailed it. And many people came up. What was the feedback like? What, what, what do people have to say after you did it? Because they didn't know you were going to do that, Māori Mihi, did they? No, no, they didn't. And uh, actually... Um I got a bit of a round of applause uh, before I, I did my Samoan introduction and then followed on with my speech. So, um, yeah, I want, a, want some brownie points uh, with the family <laughs> that day. There are two things with a Māori whānau that will win you brownie points. Te reo Māori and kai. <laughs> anyway, let, let, let's get cracking underway. So I mentioned before, 88 games for the Vodafone Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, 33, I'm just going in random order, so they're yep. not all in sequential order. Uh, the Cowboys, 33. 
Interesting enough, you started with the Raiders with 11. I didn't actually know that until maybe a couple of years ago and then had a look on uh, Ruben Wiki's archives and I can see you there in the background and yeah. probably struggling to keep up with uh, yeah. the machine there. But um, uh, uh, let's firstly go into the Warriors. You pretty much came to our attention 2003. Mm. It was against the Broncos in Brisbane. That try, right? Yeah, that try that uh, everyone still remembers to this day. Uh, funny story with that game. Uh there was a 50-50 chance I wasn't going to play. And so we were in the hotel, and our coach at the time, Daniel Anderson, it was me and Yafekta Paliasina. And he said, look, if it's raining, Fekka's playing. If it's dry, you're playing. So I'm like, oh, are you serious? So there I am waking up first thing in the morning, open the curtains, oh, it's dry. Yes, sun's out. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, then I got, I got on the bench, and then after that... Yeah, you know, that try, that uh, that famous try, I guess. You know, I've tried that training, eh? Like, I've tried the, even at, because I was at high school at the time, I'm showing my age a little bit here, and, you know, it would just be mucking around with the boys, and then, you know how you pretend to be a player? Yeah. You know, you like you might go, you know, for rugby union, you might go, Cullen, or in league, yeah, Paliasina, boom. And I'd always try and do the fun winner, and then flick it behind my back, <laughs> flick the ball behind my back, and... Yeah, that's why I ended up in media and not as a professional athlete. <laughs> so yeah, you, you must get a lot of feedback for that because that's when you came onto the scene, 2003. Mm. Um, a, a few good ath- uh, accolades in there as well. Uh, 2002, I believe you made your debut. That was a fantastic year for the, the Warriors, mm-hmm. making the final for the first time. I guess um, something that sort of popped up to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask it to you, yep. you played alongside some really good uh, Warriors players. You yeah. had the likes of Stacey Jones. Um, probably later on in your time with the uh, Warriors, you would have had uh, the likes of Ruben Wickey, young Simon Mannering making mm-hmm. his uh, debut. Also the likes of Henry Fa'afili, uh, Francis Malley, just to name a few. Yeah. In that time, though, um, do you think you had a great team, but unfortunately um, no trophy or you mm. know the results weren't necessarily there? Do you believe that you guys underachieved? Oh, that's an awesome question. And if I'm being totally honest, Edu, yes, I believe we did. Uh, with the amount of talent and the squad, um, especially in the early 2000s under Daniel Anderson, we should have won multiple, multiple NRL championships. Marsh combining with Jones after CUZ, you gave them an opportunity. Here's Jones in his face. Jones is inside the 10. Jones scores. New Zealand are level. New Zealand are level. Still going across field. Now slices through. Kick to the line for Toffee. Toffee around the corner. Oh, that is some sort of try right there for Francis Berry. You know, speaking with some of the boys, um, I know Clinton Torpy, it still sort of uh, it still things him right when we chat. And um, and I really do believe that. I think that uh, the mix of, of uh, players that we had, we should have uh, at least won one. Uh, we could have gone on and won multiple. So, yes, I, I do believe that we did underachieve. Why do, why do you believe that's the case then? Um, was it a culture thing or is it just a bit of bad luck? Um, why, do you be, why do you believe in that time when you were there, the Warriors, you guys underachieved? I think um, looking back, and I'm only going to speak from my own experience. I can't speak for the other players especially. But for me, I was just happy to play. 
Right. And uh, the reason why I think I had such a good year that year is because I enjoyed playing football. And for a lot of, I think, um, Polynesian players especially, when we have fun, we play our best footy. The reason I think we underachieved was probably just the 1% um, that I think came down to a bit of mental stuff, right? Um, just pushing past that mental barrier because when I look back at that time, it wasn't on my radar to win an NRL premiership. So it was just on my radar to play and have fun. I think had it had I had a different mindset, which is what I talk about, that 1%, uh, I think that was the, the difference. You know, Daniel had the right ingredients and the game plan to suit us. We just needed just that little bit of um, uh, mindset to just get us over the line. We're going to stick to that same year, 2003, because that was the year, I believe, you played in the game Kiwis versus the yep. Kangaroos at North Harbour Stadium. Um, and um, There were many factors that were against you guys that day. You know, you had no halves, <laughs> for starters. Um, yeah, no recognised halves. Stacey Jones was injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the likes of Stephen Kearney that was suspended. And so they named Ruben Wiki as uh, the captain. And I believe, it, because they had no recognised kicker, who was the kicker? <laughs> Unfortunately, it was me. And the uh, the story behind that was we were at training and we, we I think we had just finished. And then uh, Daniel Anderson goes, well, we've got no kicker. Who wants to kick? And me being me, I said, oh, I'll do it. And then he goes, all right then. And then we had uh, Motu Tony was also a kicker. And he goes, you guys can have a kickoff. Right? And so on the last day of training before the game, we had a kickoff. And he goes, Shione, you're kicking. I couldn't sleep that night, man. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm a training kicker. I'm the guy that turns up early to training and thinks he's a kicker, and there I am, kicking goals. So um, it was funny. I think I got three from five, and then the following year at the Warriors, because Stacey couldn't kick because of his groin, I got the kicking duties in 2004. Talk, talk me through that. So you, you were nervous as heck the night before because you just found out you were going to be the kicker. But talk about match day. What do you remember from that day? Um, what I remember is that it was like, oh, yeah, Kiwis are probably going to get a hiding, but we'll watch it anyway because we are fans and stuff and hopefully the first 10 or 20 minutes is going to be good. From your perspective as a player, just talk through what you remember of that day and then the game. Um, I was nervous and excited um, on that day. Uh, I guess I was more excited because there was 10 other Warriors boys in that team. So all up, I think there was 11 of us uh, out of that 17. Um, it was a bit cash leading into it. Um, we didn't read too much, or I didn't read too much in, into the media, like you said. We had no recognised halves, no recognised kicker. Um, I got named on the bench and then found out I was starting. <laughs> 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 it's like, oh, what's going on here? Um, but, you know, uh, I guess that game probably epitomises the the style of play when Māori and PI are given free reign. And so we were down, uh, I think, in the first 15 minutes, and then we crawled our way back and then ended up winning convincingly. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a memory that I'll forever cherish because not only did it was my debut, I got to beat the kangaroos in Auckland and have all my family and friends witness that. So, um, and it was an awesome Kiwi side as well.
So high school, how did you end up at Rongotai College? What, what? You know, I when someone said you went to Rongotai College, because you know, I, I was born up, born up in Wellington. I went, yeah, now you're your teeth, baby. Yeah, you know. yeah. How did that come about? You, oh, hang on. How did the Rongotai College opportunity come up for you? What, what, what was the reason for going down there? Yeah. So um, at the end of intermediate, my family decided to move down to Wellington. My dad had moved down there, uh, and then we moved, and then. Uh, we were staying in Porirua. Uh Then I think this was during Christmas and then the start of the school year, um, I didn't know sort of what school to go to. My mum didn't know. I couldn't get into the school my cousin was in, uh, St. Pat's Town. And so I went to Wellington High School for one week. And then my mum said, oh, there's a school called Rongatai College. Uh, they wear a uniform. Because it was muffed, like they didn't have oh, a uniform Wellington at Wellington High. Yeah, it's all right. And so I was like, oh, yep, sweet. So yeah, went to Rongatai College and um, man, it was the best. I had the best time there. Eh? It was awesome. Um, I made some really, really awesome friends. And um, in 1997, I believe, we had a really good uh, year in sport. So, you know, I went to school with guys like Ma'anonu. Um, we had Roy Kinikini Lau, who played uh, for the Sevens, Apollo Stewart, who played for uh, Manu Samoa, Chris Killen, who was an all white, Jed and Patel, who was a black cap. That's right. Yeah, right. Jeets, that's right. He was at your school. Yeah, man. And so that year in 97, our rugby team came fourth in New Zealand. Our basketball team, which I played in, we came fourth in New Zealand. Our hockey team, our cricket team, for a school role of just under 600. It was a it was a really awesome year for our for our school, and then I got a scholarship to go and play basketball at Wellington College uh, in '98. So I left Rongatai and went to Wellington College for about eight months, and then moved back to Auckland when I finished school there. You're listening to Stories from the Locker Room, a News Hub podcast. In 2006. Um, that was the end of your Warriors career yep. um, and you've outlined it especially in the book uh, The Second Phase mm. available at all good stores now see the warehouse.co.nz That's awesome. <laughs> so in 2006 you were let go from the Warriors um, it says you were sacked is, is that um, accurate you left you left the Warriors or they had let you go no no so that was that's 100% accurate I was sacked um, due to a alcohol fueled incident um but I'm actually going to share uh, the backstory uh, to this, and I've never shared this before. So, leading up uh, in, to that incident, I guess throughout 2006, I felt like, oh, you know, it wasn't the same buzz, it wasn't the same feeling at the club. All the boys that I had played with, mainly from 2003, 2002, had all moved on. And uh, I got to the point where I was like, you know, oh, I think it's time for me to, to leave. And uh, and so I asked for a release, um, didn't get it. Uh, asked for another release, didn't get it. And I was me and Ivan Cleary at the time, we weren't seeing eye to eye, just with um, and and that's that's that, that happens right between coaches and and players. And so that's why I wanted to 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 leave. I actually had a deal from Manly uh, Sea Eagles, which was a really good deal, and asked for another release, and then. Um, <laughs> Didn't get it, but they said that they wanted to sit down and, and negotiate a new contract, keep me there long term, and they had sort of plans of, of me being stepping up into more of a leadership role. And I was contemplating that, and, you know, I wasn't really enjoying my 40s um, during that time. And so, uh, 
I still asked for a release, didn't get it, and then, yeah, I, a lot of things sort of led to me getting that sacking. Um, and what actually happened is I turned up to the game. I was under the influence, and uh, I was getting hammered uh, in the media, but mainly on, on this website, a fan website. And uh, at the game, I approached uh, one of the, the fans who I knew was the person writing all this stuff about me. And uh, when I found out it was him, because it's the same fan who every single year, every home game, would ask me for an autograph, would come up and say, hey, Sione, can you sign this? And I was like, yeah. And when I found out it was him writing all that stuff, I, I approached him, uh, sort of gave him a gobful and then went downstairs and did the same thing with Ivan in the changing rooms. And then the next day I got caught into the club and, uh, yeah, was was uh, eventually sacked. So uh, uh, the reason why I'm sharing that backstory is because obviously everyone only sees what's reported, but no one has ever asked me, well, why did that happen? And I'm not making excuses uh, for my behaviour. I just wanted people to see the backstory leading up to that, which for a lot of athletes, they don't get the chance to share until after they retire. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, for me, uh, I wanted to sort of, yeah, just to shed a bit of light around that sacking. I was unhappy for a while. I didn't like the direction the club was going in. I had a deal to go to Manly, which fell through. I'm not going to say why, because I think, yeah. Mm. But there were some strings pulled to get that Manly deal off the table. Uh, And then, yeah, I I was eventually sacked. Because uh, after that incident and after you were let go, I guess perhaps there were some, how do I put this in, I guess the media media's portrayal of you was that of a thug, mm. of a bad boy and somewhat of a bit of a troublemaker. I guess at the time though, um, was that fair and even today looking back on it, is that fair from the media, um, how they portrayed you? Uh, look... If I'm if I, if I'm putting myself in the media's shoes and what you see on the surface, then 100. percent That's if that's that's what you see, then that's how you're going to portray me. Uh, but at the core and at the you know deeper level, no, that's not what I was like. Um, I know that my fans and um, my friends and family know that, but unfortunately, that's all the media saw. So, hence why I shared the backstory leading up to to that that sacking. Um, I had been given multiple chances throughout uh, my time at the club, um, but no one ever asked me why that was happening. It was always like, hey, Sione uh, had a fight down in Whakatane at the touch tournament. He uh, was abusive to a guy at the ATM. Uh, He was this. And that's all they saw. But no one really sort of looked at the backstory as to why that was happening. And so... It was funny, um, a couple of years ago, one of my former teammates messaged me on Instagram uh, once I uh, launched the book, and he was like, hey, hey, so man, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, what for? And he goes, man, me and the brothers knew you were struggling and you were going through some stuff, but we just didn't know how to help you. And I was like, bro, it's all good, man. You know, like, it's not your, your fault, right? And so for me... Just him messaging me saying that meant that they did know that I was sort of going through some stuff, but they just didn't know how to help. So one of the biggest reasons why I shared my story is because I wanted to uh, show the whole picture as opposed to just a a little portion of it um, so that young aspiring athletes um, can see, you know, this is what it's like being a professional athlete. Um, It's not always about... 
you know, the flash cars and it's all rosy and stuff, you know, there is another another side to it that if you don't get help or ask for help, it can, uh, yeah, chew you up. I mean, your mental health must have been mm. in a place where um, none of us can imagine. I mean, me personally, I've had my struggles with mental health and yep. on Instagram I'm pretty open about that. I guess for you, with your mental health, how did you come out of it? Oh, man, that's a that's an awesome question. Um I still struggled uh, when I um, retired from from professional sport. So I was 28. I just got the boot from my last contract in the UK. Flew back to Brisbane where my mum and uh, my brother and sisters were. Had no qualifications. Had no idea what I was going to do. I was still on the drink. And man, I that was probably one of the lowest points in my life, 2009, when I finished. Um, it took me uh, a couple of years to sort of find my way, but if I was to pinpoint a specific time that I was able to, I guess, like you say, come out of it, uh, was when I started to open up uh, to, I call him my brother, um, but it's my cousin's husband, who's David Solomona. Um, for those that may not know, he's played in two grand finals, uh, played for Parramatta, the Roosters, uh, and went over to the Super League. And I've known David since I was 15. And when he moved to Brisbane, when he retired, man, it was just, it was awesome for me, eh? Because I was able to openly share with him. I trust him. I love him. And he was able to guide me and mentor me based on, you know, his own experiences. And once I started to have David, I found that, uh, yeah, my mental health started to shift. And then I started to look at the positives more than the negative, right? Because most people, when they do reflection time, it's always at the negative stuff that's happened in their life. So mm-hmm. when I wrote my book, I started to reflect on, hey, hold on, there's actually some good stuff here, <laughs> you know? So, funny, yeah. Funny you mentioned it too, because I'm going to get into your venture that you've got at the moment. But mm. this was a quote that I had read in my long hours of uh, research of Rangaho, <laughs> but this is one that actually stood out to me and you were quoted as, I worked in a bottle shop for 18 bucks an hour became a concrete labourer, a labourer, and he worked in the mines as a trade assistant. Now, it wasn't until I wrote my book when I realised that, hold on, I played for my country. I played over 100 NRL games, and I played alongside and against some of the greatest players in this game. I've got some value here. Now, we're coming to your um, business venture as well. You uh, you mentor quite a lot of youth, Māori and Pasifika. Tell us about your business venture first, and then we'll get into the advice that you give to uh, some of these young ones as well. Yeah, so uh, I started Athlete Empire. It's the name of our company, and we uh, work with uh, our current sports stars, Māori Māori and Pasifika, and helping them leverage uh, their profile by building a brand and then creating digital assets, products, and services. I knew that when I had the big vision for Athlete Empire that we needed to work with players across the whole athlete life cycle. So then we launched our online platform where our current athletes would share their stories and I'd interview them and then um, they would get access to those interviews and then also uh, ask questions around uh, anything to do with sport or anything in life in general. So we had, uh, yeah, I think about 90 uh, students from all over New Zealand sign up and so as we look to move forward, the biggest thing for me was, hey, this is what I did during my sports career. These are the mistakes that I made. Um, here's how not to make the same mistakes. <laughs> now, speaking of um, mistakes and stuff like that, and, and actually I'm referencing something well, in the second phase. So yeah. 
And it basically, the book outlines that you struggled with the demands and temptations of being a personal athlete. Mm. Um, so what were those demands and what were the temptations that you struggled with? Oh, yeah, man. So the, obviously the demands of performance. Um, you know, you're paid to not only do a job, but you're paid to perform. Uh, sometimes <laughs> that could be really hard, <laughs> especially in 2004, where we just came off the back of three playoffs, uh, uh, minor premieres, and we had tasted some level of success to 2004, where I think we lost uh, six of our first eight games. All of a sudden, it's like, what is this? That was what I mean. Like now we're, we're not performing on the field and... Um, Sometimes, I'll be honest, I didn't know how to deal with that. And so, you know, um, my drinking, I guess I, I do know how to deal with it back then. I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I turned more to the drink and I just didn't know how to deal with that sort of pressure. Um, and some of the expectations that all of a sudden, like now I'm like, oh man, so this is what it's really like to be a professional athlete or the other side of it. So, um, yeah, that was mainly sort of the pressures I was, I was talking about in, in the book. Uh, demands, man, where do I start with this? Um, for me, the personal demands uh, are more a cultural thing sometimes, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're viewed in the public now that you've made it. So amongst your peers and, and your family, it's like you're made of money and money never ends. <laughs> <laughs> True, I suppose, yeah, I suppose like if you're coming from, and I mean this respectfully, yeah, from yeah. nothing... To all of a sudden having a six-figure yep. um, deal and money thrown at you, sponsors, cars, yep. you know, free phones and stuff like that, it, mu- it must be like a bit of a bit of a shock, eh? Like going from, oh. you know, having a crash in the same room as your siblings. I'm not saying you did that. No, nah, yes, we did. But, oh, yep. you did? Oh, yeah, we, we did too. So I'm going for it. You know, and all of a sudden on your own you, and you can afford to... You know, either buy homes or get an apartment in the city. It must be quite a quite a rude shock. It was, and you know, for me, my mum, who I love very much, growing up, and my dad, just seeing how hard they worked, right? And so, me making it, my family, we've never seen that sort of money before, right? and I've never seen that money before. You know, and when I was eighteen, I was on a student allowance, which was eighty dollars a fortnight. And so my first real contract was when I was nine, 20, and when I signed with the Warriors, I was on 100 grand. Wow. And I'm like, holy heck, and I'll never forget it, right? My first payment, because you're paid monthly as an athlete, my first payment uh, came through because there was a bit of a contract um, uh, stuff that still needs to be sorted with the Raiders because the Warriors had um, got me out of that contract. I got my first payment on... I think it was the the night of New Year's Eve. Oh. <laughs> You're listening to Stories from the Locker Room, a News Hub podcast. Something else that's really interesting, and, and I'm quite big on this, is pronunciation mm. of Māori and uh, Pacifica names, uh, you know, being Māori, of course. Mm. Now, yours is said, correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually na. Uh, yes. Like there's a Macron on the end. On the end. Not whamuina. No, it's Fomwina. And how important is it then for for yourself as a Samoan man mm. to pronounce the Samoan names properly? Yeah, it's look, it's it's really important um, because uh, to give you some context, Fomwina is actually a chief title name in Samoa, 
And so because it's a chief title name, in Samoa, our names are associated to the villages that we, uh, I guess, papa back to, right? And so it, it's it's really important to, I guess, pronounce it as best as you can, at least um, because it is a reflection of not just me, but my parents, my village, and my ancestors, because Whamuinaa is a name that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and you'll find that most Samoan surnames are exactly the same. Papa Li'i. Yep, Papa Li'i. So Papa Li'i is also a title name that comes from a village in um, uh, in Savai called Sapapa Li'i. Okay. So do you see how, how that, that works? Um, Tuipulotu. Now, Tuipulotu is a surname uh, of obviously Patrick, but oh. when you split it, which actually is its origin, Tui means king and Pulotu is a chief name. And so that's what I mean with our, our Samoan last names is there's a story behind it. And it's not just the family, it's the village, and then it's obviously the ancestors that that uh, came before us. One of the things that actually quite peeved me off, um, you know, and, and I had my own little thing with this, and that was Erin Molan, mm. uh, the NRL presenter, um, basically making a mockery of um, Homote. Yep. Ulakawatu. Yep. There you go. I had to have a bit of a practice. Like, I'm never going to get it right the first time, mm. but I think if you correct yourself and practice and practice, that's probably the thing. Yeah. What's your response to that? Like, what were your feelings on that? Oh, what were my feelings on that? Um, I actually did a bit of a social media post uh, around it because in 2003, there was an Australian comedian called Guido Hatsis. And Guido Hatsis did a little audio skit mocking our Warriors players' surnames, um, you know, myself included. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah. I was offended, but what do you do? It's like, oh, there was no social media, so we couldn't vent. And it's not like, you know, for, for me as a Polynesian back then when I was 22, you don't want to rock the boat. Mm. You don't want to say anything. Right, and so he came up with my name was Sione found my wiener, right, and everyone laughs. And you know, I remember when I was in Sydney at a restaurant eating dinner, someone called that out. I wanted to throw my spaghetti bolognese at him, but you know, and so when Aaron came out and said that, it brought back those memories. Right? Uh, and, you know, I don't know whether they're getting educated on how to pronounce the surnames. Hello, I'm Samoan, and I still struggle sometimes, right? And it wasn't until I sat down with my auntie who actually told me the easiest way to learn it, which is A, E, E, O, U. When you see the surname, you just pronounce it exactly how it says. Like House of Māori too. Exactly, right? Yeah, and that, we, we've all, that's how we pronounce our vowels. And once you learn how to pronounce those four vowels, you can start to, and you read out a, a Polynesian last name, it's, it, it makes it a lot easier. Mm. So, Sione, it's 2020. Earlier on, we're talking about um, underachieving, mm. and perhaps it's been pretty consistent, despite the fact after 2002, we made another grand final in 2011 under uh, Ivan Cleary. So, it's 2020 now. You've alluded on the fact that um, perhaps you guys did underachieve during your time. Is the club still making the same mistakes? Uh, that's a good question. Um, my my personal view on that, uh, I think that what you see on the field is a reflection of the club as a whole. 
And so what I mean by that is we can't keep pointing the finger at the players. We can't keep pointing the finger at the coach. We got to look at it as the whole organisation. And so if you look at the previous owners or ownership of the club, there really wasn't anyone that had the experience of building a winning rugby league organisation. Mm. Right? And so let me take you back to before the Warriors came into the Winfield Cup back then. Auckland Rugby League was almost 100 years old, right? And consistently beating international teams. A bunch of park footy players beating Kangaroos, Great Britain, and France. Right. Right? 1977, I think it was, comes to mind. And so the blueprint had already been set. Then the Warriors came into, you know, the Winfield Cup in 1995 and had no input from the Auckland Rugby League who had been there and done it. <laughs> so they had a proven model, the pathway system. The, and so for me, I am uh, not critical of the players and the coaches. I'm more critical of the organisation as a whole, who's making the decisions. And so for me, I just look at it like, man, the model was, was working fine. Auckland Rugby League had proven it. Why, why has it changed? Right, And so is the club still going to make the same mistakes? I believe so. I believe that uh, had whoever is the ownership, you must include Auckland Rugby League somewhere in that decision-making and somewhere in building that pathway. Because if you look in 2001, 2002, 2003, when we were uh, most successful, other than myself, who spent two years at the Raiders, every other Kiwi player come through that Auckland pathway system. So unless something, you know, drastically changes, I, I believe they're still going to make the same mistakes until they bring in people who actually know how to build a winning rugby league organisation. And our final question then, what's next for you, Sione? What's next for Sione from Wina? What is next for me? Um, we're building out Athlete Empire. Um, you know, we're working with a number of uh, elite sports people. Um, we've got a couple of good partnerships happening. Um, and so for me... That's where my focus is. You know, that's what puts food on the table for me. And it's not a job for me because I love working with players. Um, I'm passionate about working with them. And I just want to see them succeed when sports finishes, right? And so that's pretty much what I'll be doing for the next however, however long I can see myself doing it. So. And thank you so much. Sione from Wina, former Warriors and Kiwis, are joining us here on Stories from the Locker Room. It's New Sound Sports Podcast. You've been listening to News Hub Stories from the Locker Room. Next time on the season finale, Brad Lewis chats with Kiwi mixed martial arts pioneer Ray Seville. Find out why the combat sports legend turned down a job on Shortland Street to pursue his sporting dream. Like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your quality podcasts. Stories from the Locker Room.